Hey everyone, this is Sona. And I am Amit, and you're listening to Moonspeak, your source for bi-weekly discussion of Sailor Moon Crystal. Sono is my magical girl senpai, guiding me in the paths of Sailor Moon, but I won't be changing my name to Chiba some... Ah, ah, however I would say that, anytime soon. Uh, Prepare yourselves to be enchanted as we bask in the glow of Sailor Moon Crystal Axe 14, conclusion and commencement, petite (laughs) interventure... Something in French. (laughs) uh, And 15, infiltration, Sailor Mars. Uh, remember to keep supporting the official releases of the show so we can get more by watching New Sailor Moon Crystal every first and third Saturday on Hulu, uh, Crunchyroll, Nico Nico, and other fine sites. Another quick note, sorry we've missed a few weeks. Uh, I haven't let any reviews be posted or anything like that because I've been super busy and had to put off any work on the site to take care of some things. So, so now has there been any news? Um, the only real news that we've gotten has been more on the toy front than the show front. Uh, we finally have the announcement of uh, Figure Arts Sailor Pluto, which has been much anticipated by everyone collecting those, myself included. Uh, we also have uh, a couple other uh, Sailor V we've seen announced. Uh, oh, cool. One of Sailor Moon's upgrades and a... For some reason, they're doing a figure arts of the time Zoocyte disguised himself as Sailor Moon back in the first series. Uh, I don't know why, but that's a thing I we're imagine, doing. I imagine there are probably only subtle differences, right? Uh, there, it's basically a recolor and okay. a and a and Zoocyte's face. Well, that's why they're doing it. Um. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just—it's a really weird thing since it was just a one-episode thing in the first series that was not something from the manga at all. Yeah, you'd think they would have just dropped it anyway. That's yeah, very strange. Just very baffling. Uh, but we also had the announcement of—I uh, think Puchichara is the name of the the figure line. A uh, bunch of little chibi Sailor Moon figures, very very cute, and they're di- we're doing uh, the Ayakashi sisters, uh, who were who we were introduced to in uh, episode fifteen. Uh, this is the first merchandise we're ever getting of the four of them, and it's uh, it's really cool to see villains getting like cute chibi figures. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. All right, uh, let's jump right into uh, for- discussing fourteen then. Yes. Um, so Usagi's faith in herself and her friends fuels a silent prayer from her heart, which coalesces with the uh, Sailor Guardians and Luna's prayers, which restore the moon to its true luster. The holy light of the moon delights Metalia, who thinks she is about to take that which she has long craved, but her malicious intent and ephemeral body are banished by the great light. I really love that they let Luna run parallel to Usagi for this sequence. We have Usagi kind of putting all of her faith in her friends and what they give her, and then we have Luna putting all of her faith in Usagi and her power and what she can do. And that that was a really powerful moment, and it really solidified how much Luna has come to love and trust Usagi uh, within Crystal, which is something we never had any strong moments of in the first series. Uh, they caught me off guard at the end, though, uh, by showing uh, Luna's human form and having Artemis kind of treated as if he was seeing things. It makes me curious to see if we'll get a crystal adaptation of the original second movie, since Naoko did do a manga version of that. Uh, but then again, that movie was kind of weird, so I'm not sure how I'd feel about them doing that movie again. Uh, but we did see Human Luna, and that has a lot of interesting potential implications. 
such as Toei planning for Crystal to follow all the way through to uh, the Stars arc. Yes, <laughs> about which I know nothing, but that's cool. Um, I, I like that it's more than just kind of a throwaway weird thing, that it was actually a reference to something that happens later in the show and also in that uh, movie that you keep saying is so weird. Um, it was a weird so, movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you're saying it, I believe it. Um, okay, well, let's uh, move on to the next one. Um, so uh, this whole moon thing uh, being restored to its luster because it was dark from the power being drained and, and such uh, has great implications to me from a theological point of view. Um, there is a prayer for the moon's radiance to be restored within Judaism, and uh, there's a story that uh, a rabbi that I listened to told about um, a man like had... I know, he was impoverished and his family was sick and things like that, and somebody rebuked him, kind of called him an idiot for when they overheard him praying that the luster of the moon would be restored. And that has to do with, like, the uh, messianic age coming to fruition and, like, things being restored to the way they were before the fall. And uh, there's a, a story in the rabbinic literature that the moon was once, um, like, the same size as the sun. And then it said something about it, and God was like, hey, uh, okay, I'm going to make you small because you made this complaint about, like, you were prideful, so I'm going to diminish you. Um, which, I know. Religion is a weird thing, but I just think it's a really interesting thing that, um, you know, Taguchi's thing draws a parallel to something from Judaism, which I uh, enjoy studying. So I really like that. That That is an interesting... I didn't know about that story at all, and that is a very interesting parallel. I really like uh, things like this in media, uh, kind of a cosmology that runs so deep within a story that the universe kind of forms its own rules and its own uh, theologies. And within Sailor Moon, within this first arc, the moon itself is basically being treated as a god that can answer prayers and grant this kind of power, and that the royal matriarchy of the moon are essentially high religious figures. And I think that's really interesting. And once you kind of expand beyond this first arc and just beyond the earth and moon, there's a lot to that idea to take in. Because you have all of the other planets serving the moon and not the earth and not hmm. themselves. That's interesting. So it's there's Sailor Moon has a very interesting cosmology that is touched on in stars, uh, but not as deeply as it could be, I think. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm glad I, I love rich mythologies in, in you know the shows I watch. So that's it's nice to know that it get, it goes deeper there. Uh, let's see. Uh, so Usagi is told to be the queen of the moon after Metalli is defeated and live there, but she refuses, saying she will live as an ordinary girl protecting the people she loves on Earth. Uh, she gets a new. Is this word brooch or brooch? Brooch, I believe. Brooch. Okay, I've always been thrown off by that. I think there should so be an A I. in there. Yeah. <laughs> English is weird. Yeah, it what really a, is. What a terrible language. <laughs> Uh, so she gets her new brooch, uh, in which she places a legendary silver crystal, and she gets a new transformation call, um, moon crystal power makeup, which is, uh, pretty cool. Um, and her tiara comes back, covering the, like, crescent moon on her forehead. Uh, just an aside, I think all these little design shifts are really interesting, and I wonder what motivated Takeuchi to do it, to do them. Was it just to kind of change the pace, or, or what? I, I don't know. There are a lot of uh, design shifts over the course of the show. Uh, I think once we get to the next arc, we start really getting the major kind of costume power-up. Like, power-ups that affect the whole costume. 
that are really interesting. Again, uh, one of the figure arts that came out recently, I believe, is the second uh, the second costume that she gets. Uh, but I really loved this because, like, man, what little girl doesn't want to, like, secretly be a magical butt-kicking space princess. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's great. And Usagi spends the entire beginning of the story being told, like, oh, you gotta protect this princess, and then daydreaming about, oh, what if I was the princess? I wouldn't have to go to school or do anything I don't want to. But then 14 episodes later, here we are, and Usagi kind of knows the reality of what being that princess means. She knows the she's this great celestial princess of this crazy god moon and she's been fighting this war and that's all made it clear to her just how much being usagi means to her her first response on being told that like oh you're the queen of the moon now this is all yours this huge beautiful castle is yours now and she's like i have to go back to my house where my parents are like, she'll always be the queen of the moon, but she be- she is now Usagi, she is a human, and she belongs to the Earth. Uh, the new compact is probably the one that I remember most vividly from my childhood, so seeing that brought back this, like, wave of nostalgia. And I love not only that it's portrayed as kind of a gift from Queen Serenity, who just looked so proud of her for making the decision to go back to Earth, but it, it seems that it actually was implied to come from Serenity... And be formed from, like, what of her that was left in the moon. Yeah, that was really cool. And I did like, uh, like you said, the the pride that she had. It almost felt like it was a test for Usagi to see, you know, how far she's willing to go and and how much of, you know, how much she's changed. Um, Yeah. It definitely did that, you know, from a story point of view. Okay, so uh, almost the last note from uh, episode 14, in the meat veggies anyway. Uh, What the, uh, well, anyway, WTF, um... Another Usagi dropping in from out of nowhere accidentally uh, kissing Mamoru and pulling a gun on Usagi Tsukino. I, I didn't like this at all, and I was, like, really taken aback. The gun has always felt so awkward to me. Like, in in the full cosmology of Sailor Moon, what is this regular gun doing here? It has always, in every incarnation, felt so out of place to me. I, yeah, I, I get you there. Um, I, well, I'll, I'll go into this more later. But uh, anyway, so um, like, what's my problem with the kiss? Uh, I'll tell you, it's um, it wasn't earned at all. Uh, it shouldn't be used for comedy, and I, and it feels like Takeuchi is hurting her characters on a whim, like a writer, like Urobuchi would do, and that's just not what I expect from her. Yeah, it was awkward, and it's always been kind of awkward. And I think that what bothers me most is that it was this really romantic moment. It wasn't like when Usagi just showed up and like gave him this hello kiss. It was a real romantic moment, and the first one that we've seen them share while they're at peace. They're not fighting anyone. They're just finally able to be happy together, and it's that's the first romantic kiss we get to see from them. And then this eight-year-old literally falls out of the sky to interrupt it and take over, and that is weird. That's weird. I mean, Chibiusa is very continually treated as having kind of the same level of romantic affection for Mamoru as Usagi does. And even when I was younger, that felt really creepy because she's like eight, even though Mamoru very obviously never returns it. But in the first series, he did kind of neglect Usagi for Chibiusa, and that always bothered me. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. 
Uh, so, Frills, uh, the showdown with Metallia music is so uh, bleeping epic. Uh, I just, I, I was so thrown by it. Uh, it was really good final showdown music. Like, it, it felt like an RPG boss battle. And it's really amazing <laughs> how much music can, can really make or break a scene. And here it really kind of helped drive the moment home. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so uh, the shots, or the shot with the seagulls flying away as the girls uh, reunite was really lovely. I just thought it was great that Usagi comes running in, crying, still transformed as Sailor Moon. She doesn't, like, descend from the moon like some, like, the basically holy figure that she now is. It's not this graceful, like, moment of return where they all greet her. She just runs in crying like Usagi would for the friends that she wanted to protect. And I think that really caps off the sentiment of Usagi having wanted to stay on the Earth. I was also really glad that they included the moment of, Us- of Minako reuniting with Artemis. Because the two of them have this really special bond from back in her Sailor V days, that we didn't have time to show off much in this first arc. So it really kind of helped to enforce that and give the two of them kind of this little extra push of development right at the end. Hmm. Uh, I definitely want to track down the Sailor V manga now and check it out. Uh, let's see. Uh, the music played by the girls... Um, I'm sorry. Hmm, let me start that over. The music played while the girls are shown living their normal lives again is so great. Uh, let's see. Uh, there were so many cute moments here. I loved Usagi having gotten up early, but also having forgotten to do her homework. That's so me, or so human, uh, to feel accomplished about making positive changes. Only realize you're not quite there yet, and you have to work a little harder to get where you want. Yeah, and the sequence of everyone kind of going back to their lives was really great. There's more of uh, the implied closeness between Minako and Artemis when she leaves for school and starts talking to him. Uh, the friendship between Ami and Makoto that we've kind of only gotten little glimpses of in the background we get to see more of. And it the moment of Usagi coming downstairs and realizing she forgot her homework is just so Usagi being Usagi. <laughs> and I can, I can so relate to that feeling of being proud to be, oh, I'm up and I'm ready on time, only to realize that she's forgotten something so important. When this is probably like a couple of days Maybe maybe not even a couple of days, but maybe just a day or two after this final battle, where she's like, oh no, I forgot to do my homework, and when would you have had time to do that? <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's <laughs> and so good. just to see after Usagi kind of becoming the queen of the moon and winning this great epic battle for the safety of the earth just kind of reminds you that she's human. Yeah, definitely. And then my last uh, really note for this one is a reiteration of something you said, but the legendary Sil- silver crystal in the new moon brooch or brooch is uh, totally awesome, and I, it is a compact, right? Yes. Yeah, and I absolutely love that because I, I mean, I can remember playing with my mom's compacts as a kid because it's this cool little hard, smooth thing, and then you open it up and there's a mirror and then like this weird stuff in there. Like, yeah. how cool is that? Yeah, and I, th- I think they actually did release like a makeup compact, uh, like a foundation compact of the. Uh, the second of the the moon brooch compact uh, cool. a while back. <laughs> uh, so neat, so neat. Okay, so uh, let's keep moving um, on to the next episode. Fifteen, we'll start again with the meat and veggies. Uh, so I love all the girls' casual outfits, um, animation, games, whatever. I love alternative outfits, so it's it's really yes. cool to see them in their alternates here. 
Um, Definitely but, watch the the first series. They get a lot of very fun, very very nineties outfits. Oh, yeah, I love nineties clothes. So it's crazy. so good. <laughs> it's so good. Mom, Mamaru can't dress himself to save his life. Oh, good. That makes me so it's, happy. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> uh, and like you know, like another shading of, or layering of like the girls themselves as characters, not just as Sailor Senshi. Um, it's really fun uh, that they're all visiting Ray at her school. Uh, like it's, I said, it adds another dimension to their friendship, and it just makes me happy to see. And the juxtaposition of a burning nun and the man Ray dreamt about getting killed is rough, um, but serves to make uh, me, anyway, feel the impact of the two extremes more. I, I think um, there's a good balance there, and uh, like I, I think Takuchi putting those things together, the heartwarming stuff and then the chilling stuff, um, made them each feel more uh, of what they were. I yeah, guess. like it definitely makes you feel like more afraid for this next battle that's coming. I completely forgot Ray went to a Catholic school. Yeah, that's interesting. Like that, I don't think they actually specified within uh, the first arc that it was a Catholic school. I know it comes up in the first series a couple of times. Uh, but it was really nice seeing everyone kind of gathering to go to her cult- Ray's cultural festival and how excited Usagi was about mentioning it to her family and kind of Ray opening up and being willing to kind of embrace the fact that she's this psychic girl and get involved in, and use that to get involved with a school function. And that really shows how far Ray has come since we first saw her when she was afraid of interacting with people at all because of this. And I just think it was really sweet and gave a little more time to enjoy the girls' civilian lives before we jump back into this battle that we're coming to now. And Ray's premonitions are still in play, and but man, those those spontaneous combustions were pretty harsh. Uh, that that's kind of something that freaks me out a little, and I forgot that that's where we started this storyline with people just spontaneously combusting and dying. Yeah, and that's that's kind of scary. Yeah, it definitely is. I'm gonna have to cover some little lies when we catch up to these episodes. Yeah. Um, I think it's so interesting, just as a total tangent, that she goes to a Catholic school and she's like a shrine maiden. It, that's the that would be the correct term, right? Yes, uh, she's she's actually a Shinto shrine maiden, and I, but she goes to this Catholic school. I and I think it's mostly because it's a a ver- it's a private school. Uh, it's a very exclusive school, and her father is a political figure. Mm, okay. So I think it it has mostly to do with that. I just thought, and, like, there's no reason this should be in uh, the show at all, but it was really cool to see, like, how genuinely she cared for the sisters there. And, like, as soon as she felt like they were in danger, like, you know, she looked at them with care and, like, these are people with whom she's familiar. And when she sensed that there was danger, she was totally concerned. And, like I said, there wouldn't be, like, sectarian uh, stuff in this uh, where, oh, you know, I'm a Shinto you know, person and, and you're Catholic, so we have to disagree. But it was just really cool to see, like, at the core, this is about, like, humanity, and she was acting heroic in that way. Yeah. And um, it's just refreshing, especially with real-world events lately. Yeah. Uh, the world. <laughs> Uh, okay, so um, a little more from me. Uh, power-ups are great. Seeing Rei, Ami, and Makoto with uh, amped-up attacks uh, on their own um, was really great. Um, but again, I don't know how I feel about Usagi getting the moon rod after Mamoru's, uh, to me, slightly unnecessary and inexplicable defliction uh, and rescue. 
and then like they held hands, and then the moonrod pops out, and it just seemed I don't know a little awkward. It was it was a very strange animation sequence, <laughs> <laughs> but having having some context for the larger story that's going on makes the moment itself a little less weird to me. Okay. It was nice to see Mamoru deflect an attack with something other than a rose. Hmm, I bet. <laughs> Again, having having grown up with the first series, and that was literally all he ever used for anything. <laughs> so, I mean, having him come in and kind of knock it back with a cane, it was nice to see him do some fighting that actually made sense. But, oh man, I was pretty hyped to see the new attacks. Uh, this group of attacks were always some of my favorites, uh, especially for Ami. I missed the I did miss the old stock footage a bit though, but that was that's just nostalgia on my part. But the new stock footage for Burning Mandala looked great. Oh, I, I have to admit that like that really did look good. Yeah, that was so cool. And then like, isn't a mandala from Islam? I'm I believe possibly. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not very familiar with religions. Or maybe it's so like I don't Hinduism. So like, it, I just I like all the mixing. It's cool. Yeah, Ray Ray does take on a lot of different religious symbolism, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, it sure seems like it. That's very interesting, and something I haven't quite caught before just now. Yeah, and then like her little line about um, "I'll chastise you." It almost seems like uh, an ascetic monk type thing. Um, like now I'm thinking of like self-flagellation and things that people used to do. Yeah. Um, so maybe she's like a, a melting pot for religious yeah, ideas. Yeah, she takes on a lot of different religious icon- iconography. Hmm. Very cool. interesting. Uh, especially if like the moon is this deity and you could say that, you know, all these different things connect to it. Yeah. yeah that's really neat. Um, the mo- <laughs> There's a reference to our emailing uh, earlier this week. The moon is just like New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> 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 all all roads lead lead to the moon and to New Jersey. <laughs> There's no uh, escape. Yeah, you know, I think that's actually where the headquarters of the uh, Earth Kingdom was. <laughs> Probably. Uh, okay. No one so, here um, would notice. <laughs> okay. Um. So Ray was abducted. Um. How scary that the defeat of uh, Koan didn't break the fire spell she put around Ray. This is unexpected, and I'd like Takuji to carry this further. It's taking some effort for me to remember the sisters' names. Uh, I don't think I ever watched this arc in Japanese. I, and I very vividly remember this arc in the old Deke dub, so I have the four sisters' old dub names in my head. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm very much trying to relearn their names. Uh, but I remembered from the manga that uh, the fire didn't break when Cone was destroyed. But I can't remember how it concluded, so I'm feeling really tense about where this is going. Mm. And I think what really got me is, as Rubius shows up and is kind of declaring what's going on and taking Ray, you can still kind of hear her crying out in pain. Oof. I didn't listen to it loud enough to, uh, to catch that. I'll have to check that back again. All right, and now we will get into the uh, frills for episode 15. <laughs> yes. So, uh, these new villains want to destroy the legendary Silver Crystal and call it the source of their, what was it, like pain, misery, something like that? Yeah, something along those lines. That's what they're saying now. Mm. This arc goes in a lot of different directions. Ah. So, I forget when exactly the the crystal itself kind of falls out of play and then comes back into play. And this arc is... All over the place, but does a lot of interesting stuff. Okay, I guess I can't be mad at it for that just yet. 
Uh, I think Chibi Usa is an adorable name. I'm I'm not so thrilled with the character, but um, I don't know. She's she's Moe before Moe was Moe, yeah. I guess, right? Yeah, she's she's Chibi Usagi, and I did always find that cute, even though I was never fond of uh, Chibi Usa at all when I was younger, uh, which no one was really. She was pretty <laughs> universally uh, despised by the entire fandom. Yeah, I and, get that too. And uh, thinking back on it, when a fandom hated a character back in the day, it was a lot rougher than it is now. Like you, I mean, I I see stuff with okay. character character hate. It's mostly just arguments these days. Back in the day, I actually uh, remembered this and went and just looked this up and was rereading it. There was a website called the Chibi Project, uh, oh. where someone documented. Their various escalating attempts to destroy a small Chibiusa figurine. Uh, my cousin Rachel and I used to very badly abuse a Chibiusa plush that she had, uh, <laughs> uh, kicking it all over the place. Yeah. Uh, we were really hard on Chibiusa. Like, te- we were terrible about it. Um, so it's, it's going to be pretty interesting, kind of taking her in again and re-examining her and seeing kind of how I feel about her now uh, through the lens of someone who is an adult and very different than I was when I was, you know, 10. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of like um, you hear certain people who hate certain characters, like Akiko from Double, for example. Yeah. And they they have all this vitriol towards her when she's... A creation of the guy who writes, uh, you know, Shotaro and Philip and everybody they love from Double. So uh, it's yeah, kind of weird. And I mean, like I've I've seen some really nasty hate for Akiko and for a lot of girls uh, in Common Rider, Super Sentai, many many other things. No, but really, nothing. None of that is anywhere near the levels of hate that people displayed. Quite proudly, back in the day, for characters like Chibiusa or uh, Rulina Peacecraft from Gundam Wing, hmm. uh, who also there was like a choose-your-own-ending game devoted to like torturing her. Oh dear! It was the the late nineties and early two thousands were a weird time. Yeah, that's that's uh, pretty extreme. Although we did have um, Bin Laden in a blender at that time too, so I can't really mm. be too surprised. Oh boy! It, it was quite a time and. At the time, no one really saw anything wrong with any of this. Hmm. I wonder if that's a product of, uh, I don't know, youth or, or lack of um, sophistication when it comes to media criticism. Maybe. And I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was just a product of the times somehow. <laughs> I mean, clearly it was a terrible, dumb thing to be doing. But it's it's interesting looking back on it. Yeah, I'll I'll just say for myself, I don't feel any hatred for her. I just don't understand why this is being done to these characters. Ah, um, all right. Well, there's there's reasons for Chibiusa and well, who Chibiusa <laughs> is, and where that goes in the story is going to bring in a lot of pretty interesting things. I'm just very curious as to how Crystal is going to handle the Chibiusa uh, kind of plotline. and how I, as someone who was part of that culture, of very young girls that absolutely hated her for no real reason that I can remember um, how I'm going to take her in. Hmm. 
Well, it'll be interesting to watch. Hopefully you don't explode. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> I've I've survived the entirety of Heisei Kamen Rider, so... This is true. All right, moving on. Uh, almost Ami almost the entirety. <laughs> I did drop one show. That's true. <laughs> uh, Ami and Ray are um, so great teasing Usagi. Uh, we need much more of this. Yes. There was there was there is so much more of this in the first series because there's more time for it. Uh, really, any anyone new to the franchise, I would really recommend going back in and watching the first series. There's just so much great stuff there. Um, but we need so many more cuter interactions like this between the girls. And I was so excited that since we've been caught up in in these battles for the past couple of episodes, we haven't really had the time for this and gotten to see their personalities really shine through. Minako totally ignoring this serious conversation to focus on her parfait was very cute and very much the Minako I remember from the mid-90s and early 2000s. Hmm, Okay. That's cool. I'd like to see more of that Minako, so I'll definitely have to check out the dub. Um, We'll see. If if the show, if Crystal ends at 26, I'm definitely going back for the dub because uh, how can I not? Um, or just the 90s show in general, however I can watch it. Um, yeah. I've heard that the new dub is not that bad. Okay, well, that's good to know. Okay, so Asanamu is a first year from um, <laughs> the, the school, uh, Moto Azabu, and uh, Makoto knows him, and uh, he's Mamoru's Kohai, so that's interesting. And he looks kind of like him, which is funny. Yeah, he's like, he's like a tiny blonde Mamoru. Uh, or maybe he's not so tiny and Makoto is just really tall because she is. Um, but he also seemed kind of tiny. Uh, but this is probably the first time we've heard someone from outside of our core group really talk about Mamoru. Though I kind of laughed at the fact that he seemed almost like upset and angry about how perfect Mamoru is. He's just like, oh, he does all this cool stuff and I admire him so much. Dang, this! why is this guy so great? That's really funny. Yeah, but maybe. I I like the fact that Makoto's been hanging out with him, because it kind of keys us towards the girls kind of having time away from each other, even though they're all so close, and having lives outside of protecting the Earth. Right. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, maybe it was just like, I don't know, like Senpai Envy, like, he's so great, I can never match up to him. Ah, Senpai, <laughs> why are you so great? Why won't you notice me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. Okay, so uh, and you know I gotta say like in reaction to seeing him and, and all these all these uh, what, uh, Ayakashi sisters and stuff, it's like man, like and then the four guys too that are there, it's like the cast is exploding and it's it's really surprising. Yeah, we got so much in this one episode. We got pretty much all the core players of Black Moon: uh, Diamond, Sapphire, Rubius, and. Uh, I know her name is a play on Emerald, but I can't remember exactly what it is. Okay, that makes sense. Because uh, I, I want to say Emerald, but that's a completely different show. <laughs> um, and then we get the Ayakashi sisters, and that's four of them. And then Shibiusa, and we've got this. We've got Mamoru's Kohai, and then we have our updated opening sequence where we get a glimpse of Sailor Pluto, which was so exciting for me and everyone else that's been waiting for her. Um, but it felt like 15 was almost two episodes with how much was in it. Yeah, it was really um, jam-packed. Uh, now, I don't know. 
I think I'll I'll just say it and then drop it. Um, Pluto uh, looks like uh, just by going off character designs, Pluto looks like there'll be a defector. Mm, um, actually, so. that's not not really true. That's she's really the complete opposite of that. Really? Okay. Pl- wow. Pluto is quite devoted to a fault, but uh, Pluto has a very very specific role among the senshi. Uh, she's probably one of the most serious. Hmm. But it is interesting that her kind of main color is black and she's not a defector. Uh, that's not something that happens very often. Hmm. Okay. But uh, Pluto Pluto has a really interesting kind of story and I can't wait for us to get to her. Uh, I've always really loved her. All right, groovy. Uh, let's see. Oh, and then, you know, here, uh, we're at the end of the episode, and we are now introducing a new feature to the show. Yeah! Um, <laughs> uh, Sono, what was the best line of this episode? It could be sweet, funny, sad, anything works. Okay, I think for me this time, uh, it might have been Luna calling Mamoru Mamochan when she knocks him and Usagi out of the way of Chibiusa doing the weird umbrella hypnotism thing. <laughs> it just, it really stuck out to me. Because of kind of Luna's roller coaster of emotions in the past couple of episodes regarding Mamoru at the end of Dark Kingdom. And now she's referring to him by this really affectionate name that Usagi also uses. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's cool. It didn't uh, quite stick out to me as much. Um, yeah, what they, did they, stick didn't, out? they didn't sub it as Mamo-chan. Oh, well, there you go. So that that's probably, that's probably why, but for... I just caught in the audio, I just hear her shout Mamochan, and I'm like, that's an interesting thing for Luna to do. Hmm. Since I don't think she's ever really referred to Mamoru that kind of affectionately in any other iteration. Yeah, hasn't it always been Mamoru Chiba? Or something <laughs> along those lines? Yeah, or just, or just Mamoru. Right. Um, I mean, but even, you know, back like five episodes ago she was super suspicious of, of him and you know well, who's this guy yeah. is he grand enemy whatever so it, yeah, it's you know, like don't cool. and even like once she knew he was in Dimian, she's like you can't trust him he's with he's with the moon kingdom that's not your mamaru anymore hmm. and i i just think maybe that's kind of her way of showing like i'm i'm a big part of usagi's life i'm basically standing in for the queen i accept you hmm. that's cool or maybe thought. that's me just reading way too much into it, but yeah, uh, speaking that's of re- what I do. Speaking of reading things in an interesting way, uh, looking at your notes, I thought you said that Luna called Mamoru a macho man. And I was like, what? She's being sarcastic? I didn't catch that at all. <laughs> that would have been, been hysterical. Yeah. That's um, very uh, 90s Luna. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that would have worked. Um, okay, so uh, my pick is um, uh, after the Moonrod uh, awkwardly appears... <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. I, I, I try not to like bring things down with them. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you'd say it's like I guess body humor, um, but it seemed very awkward to me. Very. It, um, it was though. Appendages, right? I mean. Yeah. No, it was. <laughs> I I will not deny that that it was a very awkward animation sequence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, so um, you know. Usagi has the moon rod in her hand, and she says, I know what I have to scream! Moon Princess Halation! And, um, I didn't realize this until I looked up, Halation is a real word. I didn't know that either. And, and I've, I've been here for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed it was like, um, healing escalation portmanteaued. 
Uh, but I don't think it's that because I have the uh, or a dictionary definition of this. Um, halation, um, it's the spreading of light beyond its proper boundaries to form a fog around the edges of a bright image in photograph in a photograph or on a television screen. So, like, whenever you see, like, a halo of light, a halo, halation, a halo of light around something in an image, it's halation. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense, and that very much suits kind of Usagi's motifs and this attack. Yeah, her, her light pushes away and banishes darkness and, you know, spreads magically. <laughs> Ah, so very, anyway. very interesting. We've there we've covered a lot here uh, in fourteen and fifteen, uh, closing out Dark Kingdom, going into Black Moon. Yeah, it, I, I gotta say, I'm a little like I was so upset by the uh, WTFery at the end of fourteen, and then like even seeing it, you know, picked right up on in in fifteen, that I've decided in honor of feeling like I've had a you know, butt shoved in my face that I didn't want to see. Um, calling this episode Mooned. Um, and uh, there you go, listeners. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, after looking at it and thinking about it a little more, I kind of like it. So, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of good stuff does happen. We've got a lot of good stuff coming. A lot of really interesting story on the way. Uh, stuff that you'd mentioned back in earlier episodes. Uh, we're going to learn some things. Cool. So we've got we've got things coming. Uh, it's just Chibiusa's introduction is really weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a really weird route to take. Uh, I I will agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, uh, even more with the context that I know. Okay. So remember remember this scene later when we learn more okay. about things. All right. I'm I'm now suddenly uncomfortable, but you know all I can do is watch and and see it happen live. <laughs> Whatever. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and close it out. Um, goodbye, listeners. Thank you for listening. I hope you're uh, subscribing through iTunes or at least giving us some reviews there. Um, we're going to be back in full force, and, and hopefully uh, I will have things managed so that um, for from now from here on out, uh, at least to the end of Crystal, I can imagine us um, being really consistent with uh, getting reviews published as well as the episodes on Mondays. So... Yeah, this episode will be will will have come out um, on Monday the sixteenth. So, there you go. All right, uh, Sono, thank you for bearing with me through the craziness of of this recording session. And no, uh, things happen. Yeah, um, and I've had a great time talking with you. And uh, yeah, always a good time. Yeah. Uh, until next time, uh, be yeah. well. And uh, you too. Yeah, I guess that's it. Yep. Take care, everyone. Yep. Bye bye. If you'd like to comment on our thoughts or ask any questions, you may send correspondence to our inbox, trialofheroes at gmail.com. Or we can be reached individually at Face and at trialofheroes on Twitter. We hope you enjoyed the show, and thank you for listening. The opening and closing for this episode was performed by Josh Agarado, whose work can be found on YouTube and at josh.agarado.net. Please check out all the cool music there. Visit trialofheroes.wordpress.com to see text reviews every Monday after Crystal airs and hear New Moon Speak just about every Monday after that. Subscribe through our brand new dedicated RSS feed where you'll only get Moonspeak, or through the new iTunes feed just for Moonspeak, or through uh, Stitcher when that has actually gone live, so that you can keep up with every episode of Moonspeak as it releases.
Moonspeak is part of the Toll Network, putting heroes on trial because someone has to.